Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. We've always thought that the most compelling story strikes the perfect balance between an honest look at the mess of life and the humor that can be found in the mess. To be perfectly honest, we don't really know how to live life without both the humor and the authenticity. Our podcast might be a little bit of whiplash at times. We can spin from hard and deep to humor and laughing on a dime. The hard will be really hard and the truths we share are the ugliest of humanity. We don't intend to make it seem like it's all fine or to pretty up the pain, but we also know that the joy we found is all the more profound because of the pain. So we hope you can stick with us through the ugly because there will also be joy and hope and humor. Welcome to the ugly truth about the girl next door. Welcome back to the second of two episodes called I Am Not Alone um, with Alicia Cohen. In this episode, we continue where we left off from the first episode with Alicia just sharing more about her abuse experience at the hands of her father and her experiences with law enforcement um, and other people who could have and should have been a support to her. Um, some of what she shares is pretty difficult to, to listen to, um, but it is so important for us to understand the reality of what it means to be a child trapped in a situation like this um, so that we can show up better for the children and women that need the support. So thanks for listening. Which is insane, but okay. <laughs> it it right. doesn't make logical sense, right? It just doesn't make logical sense. I know this. The public knows this, but it is the, it is the law. I don't have access to the video and photographic footage that was taken. And that is pretty much what they want. I suspect that he still has it. You know, I, I don't think these are things that these people get rid of, but they, they can't even initiate a search warrant because of the statutes. No, I love it's your statement of the offender has more rights in the criminal justice system than the victim, like louder for those in the back, right? Like <laughs> some of the disturbing things that were said to me, like by the FBI agent, when I was reporting was that, you know, nothing could be done unless I had the photograph or video evidence. But I was told that if I brought it to the FBI, that they would charge me with possession of child pornography. Perfect. Which is like, oh my Doesn't God. Doesn't make any sense. And I was like, even if I'm the victim and I'm handing it over to law enforcement, and she was like, yes. Oh my gosh. It so doesn't make any sense. Like, what are you supposed to do? Not report it? Like, I remember another thing that was said to me was basically, I just had to let it go. She said that, um, but I'll tell you what I tell all the teenage girls who come crying after their boyfriends shares the topless selfie around the school is once it's out there, it's out there. You just have to let it go. And I was just like, with all due respect, this mm -hmm. is not the same ballpark. I am not a teenage girl who shared a topless selfie. Like, it's not. Right. Oh, right. Not even right. in the same category. Not it's even not, close. It's not even the same thing. It's not the no. same level of victimization. Um, now, my from also, where is the concern for all of the other potential slash likely victims. Yeah. And society at large, right? right? People ask us all the time, where is law enforcement? Where is law enforcement? Yeah. Right. Where we is law enforcement? are more concerned with winning the case. It, and at least with civil lawyers, they will at least try. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, unfortunately the just, the criminal justice system did not work for me. I did have success with the civil justice system. Um, 
but not with the criminal system. And um, right. so just, okay, so after like, my brain started to heal and I started to gain momentum in that process, I ended up joining more of like the national human trafficking movement. And I connected, you know, with a lawyer who was able to connect me with a larger law firm. And they were able to help with the, the like, they were horrified. They were absolutely horrified when I showed them my timelines and everything that had happened, right? So we did go through that process and he was found civilly liable, but it wasn't until, oh geez, it was Christmas Eve of 2022, right? So just a right. few weeks yeah. ago, we went through the civil process and after that, people did start coming forward with corroborating evidence, like people who saw the creepy bedroom in the basement and people who saw behaviors that they witnessed from me that were atypical, people started coming forward. And from the bottom of my heart, those people meant so much because I didn't even have, like my mother wouldn't even corroborate the creepy room in the basement. Okay. So the fact that these like other people that were in and out of our house due to those prayer meetings did see it, that is, I'm so forever grateful that they spoke up and were like, yes, that was there, right? Yep, Like absolutely. you're not crazy, that was there. So after all that, my lawyers then took the corroborating evidence and we refiled with the state of Delaware and... Apparently there was another investigation. I'm not sure of it. What like what really happened with that in, in that investigation? I'm not privy to it, right? But it took maybe about a year for them to finally get back to us and say no, they were not moving forward. And you know they told so us on a year. Time. Wait, pause for one second. You filed criminal charges again with the state of Delaware. Gave them corroborating information. Gave them t witness testimony of people who could place. A creepy bedroom in your basement, and I'm sure lots of other things, behaviors that they noticed, you handed it all to them, and that took them a year to tell you what? To tell me, no, they were not going to move forward. And right. I received this news on Christmas Eve right before they shut down for the holiday, which made me feel like they weren't even really Ooh, Like an email at 4.45 on a Friday. Yeah, yes, like exactly. That. So, you know, and before that, before that, on one of the other times I filed a report, the person that they put in charge of the case was quote unquote on family medical leave and not even in the building for like another three months. So oh that's God. like how much gravity they actually showed for the case. Like it just, they just doesn't seem to me that they were that concerned. Like if they were really that concerned, wouldn't they put someone in charge of the case that was actually in the office and available to investigate? Right. <laughs> What do you right. think about that, Alicia? Like, how do you explain to yourself why that is, that there isn't this sense of uh, just how Urgency? enormous? Yeah. Um, I like to tell myself that they are overrun with current cases that they have to deal with, with, with kids that they have in their custody that are actually currently being victimized that they have to do something about. I, that's what I tell myself is that there's, you know... Other There's not enough resources. There's not no bandwidth. Resources, yep. Not enough people, not enough training to understand all of this. Um, and also a lot of what I was trying to explain to them of what he was doing currently, I didn't necessarily have black and white proof of because the language on the websites are written only in such that like someone with my experience who knows him mm. would understand. Like, Traveling yep. Minister's Fellowship isn't going to ring a whole lot of red 
flag bells for uh, for the general population. But for me personally, that is a horribly alarming thing that he's still recruiting yes. and has these message posts, you know? Right, right. Um, but to try to convince someone without black and white proof that that's what this means is just it's it's hard. It's a he said, she said. Situation. Well, and it's, again, like you said, not having the education, not having the training. Right. Like I found you because I was looking for exactly that, knowing that the vast majority of law enforcement or, you know, whatever it may be, um, investigators don't have that education and that training to recognize it when they see it um, or to even wrap their head around it. I mean, how many people have looked at you like you've got five heads when you're trying to explain your story? Right. Well, and it, it wasn't even like, OK, we went through the civil suit with the human trafficking. And, and that was, that was what that was. But when I went back to the, them for like a criminal case, I was like, listen, I will be happy with an offensive touching or like an indecent exposure, like anything against a child that will put him on the sex offenders list. My only concern is that without him being on the sex offenders list, that the public does not know that he's a dangerous person. And right. he's these freedoms and all of these access to children because he's not on that list. Um, And I just, I honestly don't understand why, you know, okay. So like a a civil jury has what, like six to eight people on it. So six to eight people anonymously found that he was at least guilty of, of sexual abuse and, um, and unlawful incrimination against me. Right. So I guess they're looking at it and thinking, well, maybe 12 people wouldn't unanimously find that. And if they didn't, then we would have lost a case and it goes against my record and we shouldn't right. move forward. It's just, you know, it's the same reason how they won't move forward with a murder case without a body. It, you know, like, right. doesn't make sense to all of us. Maybe you know, I'm not a justice professional. Maybe it makes sense to them. You know, I, I don't I don't know. So I, I, I do know that people should not say these horrible things to individuals when they're trying to come forward and report, though, because it doesn't help anything. <laughs> no. Can I ask a question? I don't know sure. if you track any statistics in Delaware, but do you hear much about prosecution of child sex trafficking in your state? Current day cases? Um, not family trafficking. I, I, you know, when I came forward with my with my case, I had a lot of people... Well, not a lot. I had a few other people come forward saying I had a similar experience also in private schools. One was even in my own elementary school, but a completely unrelated case. Right. So my initial thinking is, oh, my gosh, she's also in my elementary school. Obviously, our cases must be related, but they weren't completely unrelated. So my thinking is that it was just rampant at the time. It must have just been a rampant culture of sexual abuse that existed here in Delaware. Um, Currently, what I see more in my state is the more traditional adolescents being lured into trafficking, right? Like that's, that's what we see more currently that is being prosecuted. Um, I guess, so what I was trying to highlight in that question is also, you know, that idea of that the system is so overwhelmed prosecuting current day and making efforts to keep current day children safe, which I know that they are doing that. But also, if if that really is where the resources were going, I would hope and expect to see current day prosecutions of familial trafficking. And I'm 
I don't think that we really see that. We don't. What we do see is possibly um, sexual abuse charges. Again, I think the monetary commercial aspect of of trafficking is really hard to prove, especially when you're dealing with cash money or people laundering it under small businesses or through church funds like my father did, things like that. It's just yep. really hard to prove. You're more likely to be able to get physical evidence from a child's body and prove sexual abuse. Right. I just think that these, that these children are being filed under different categories and it's not being labeled as familial sex trafficking. It's being labeled as, you know, neglect, drug abuse in the home or sex abuse. It, that, that monetary commercial aspect is just being, it's being missed. Did anyone ever try to intervene on your behalf when you were going through all of this as a kid? Only my mother. So there weren't, uh, out, there's no one outside who was aware or connected in any way that tried to help. No. Um, at one point, like my sleep, dis- I had, I had really, really bad sleep disturbances and also really horrible separation anxiety. So, um, like it was almost like my father and I had this unspoken agreement where if my mother was in the room, I would not be abused. Like I knew that. Right. And now as an adult, I understand why, (laughs) you know, but as a child, I didn't, I just understood that if my, if I was around my mother, I was not going to be abused by my father. So I had horrible separation anxiety. Um, that was also exacerbated by some of the threats to my mother's safety. And also, um, you know, I was often told that if I did tell that they would kidnap me and just put me in like sexual servitude full time, that I would no longer live in the home or that my family would be homeless. There were all these things that just made me terrified to be separated from my mother. Um, so obviously that was an annoyance to my mother (laughs) and, you know, at some point she convinced my father that I, I should be taken in for some sort of therapy or evaluation. So I think it was 1989, 1990, I was taken to a therapist. Unfortunately, my father insisted on being present during every session, Mm -hmm. like in the room. And he also would assault me, sexually assault me in the parking lot, either right before or right after. So I always kind of knew it was coming. Yep. Um, So whenever I went into these sessions, I just sat there like stone cold, didn't say anything, nothing. And then um, that lasted for about three weeks and then it stopped. So I'm not exactly sure why it stopped. I suspect my father was just like, we're not going to do this any longer. Um, my next, you know, the, the next situation I could have seen where someone could have intervened, I was, you know, again, taken to a mental health professional this time, right after the abuse had ended, I was evaluated for a learning disability, uh, as a child in a private school, I, like, I was not able to keep up with my, um, with the curriculum. And it wasn't because I didn't you know, I wasn't smart enough or I didn't have the education. It was just that like, as a hypervigilant child, I was constantly scanning the room for danger and that made it impossible to process any of the learning targets that I was being presented with. Yep. But 
Yeah, but at the time I was taken in for evaluation for a learning disability because that is what was assumed by my, I guess, sixth and seventh grade teachers. And I was diagnosed with um, attention deficit disorder. And um, we know now after the ACE scores study that oftentimes children present with trauma are diagnosed with attention differences and learning differences. And that was also my experience. Um, Man, it would have been nice if like that doctor had understood trauma at the time and had been able to evaluate for disassociation or hypervigilance or something else. But no, that was also a missed situation. Um, there were also other instances, I think back to like, you know, I wasn't allowed to have many friends or I wasn't encouraged to be friends with, with people outside of like our church group. I look back to that church group and there were non-abusive families who were not privy to the trafficking that I think, man, I wish they had picked up on some of these warning signs. Like the fact that I had an aversion to my father. I never wanted to be around him, right? Like that is atypical. I couldn't attend sleepovers. I wasn't able to be overnight or separated from my mother. Like those should have all been kind of red flags that something was not right. 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 At least to um, create opportunity for a conversation. Yeah. Also, my father started telling people that I had begun men- menstruating at like seven, eight years old. Oh, to account for the, um, the, you know, the blood that, but I was not menstruating. I did not start menstruating until I was 12. So these kinds of things would have, you know, should have been red flags. Right. Um, I was also as a child, you know, you asked about red flags earlier, um, self-harming the, you know, I, I didn't start cutting until I was older, but I started, um, biting my nails to the point of really chewing on the skin around the nail. It wasn't even the nail itself. Um, you know, scratching and clawing at myself, um, pulling my hair out, uh, picking at my skin, head banging, those kinds of things were really, really red flags and indicators of very severe logical distress. But again, at the time I was being homeschooled. So who, who could have noticed, right? So what would you want listeners to know or survivors to know? as they're listening to you. I want them to know what my father is currently doing because it still enrages me that I'm not able to get a prosecution, right? And get him on the sexual offenders list. So I want them to be aware that this man is dangerous. Currently, I know he is active in the countries of Haiti, Rwanda, and India. And I know that that Traveling Ministers Fellowship website is still up and includes a very shady recruitment form. I also want the public to know that... um, If you see indicators of severe distress in a child that you can establish like a safe long-term relationship with them, and that is really helpful. You know, it's okay to explicitly ask them if, if they feel comfortable with their parents, are they comfortable in their own bedroom? Um, a, A child might answer in a manner that is not typical, right? So like I would have described my abuse when I was very young. I thought that there were monsters in my room that would come and get me at night. I didn't realize they were actually people, you know, if that makes any sense. It does. Yep. Um, I would have responded with a lot of shrugs and I don't know and, and hanging of my head. I was a frequent flyer to the school nurse for um, 
kind of very vague somatic complaints like my stomach hurts. You know, before I was homeschooled, I was very tired in school because I wasn't sleeping well at night. I had um, chronic throat infections and chronic like mouth ulcers just all the time. Uh, For medical professionals, yes, it is normal that a parent wants to be in a room during an evaluation. Like I don't remember a time where I didn't want to be in a room during an evaluation of my own daughter. However, there's certain evaluations that, you know, the, the, the parent is not typically present for. And that, that, of course, includes mental health evaluations. If you are asking about abuse, please don't have a parent in the room. Like, that doesn't even make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it sounds, you know, it sounds basic, right? And, and I certainly hope that times have changed between the 80s and now. If you are approaching this from, from a church standpoint, understanding that your church can be groomed as an institution to allow for human trafficking to take place like on your grounds without you even knowing it. Um, My father would constantly go into churches and kind of work his way up in the hierarchy to gain access to the actual building during, so that he could take me there to be trafficked during times when the building was empty. Yep. Um, So, you know, you have to be, you have to be lookout. Sometimes people are not volunteering because they have, the church's best interests in mind. They are volunteering for some very nefarious, like their own self-interest. So again, looking at the whole family structure, do you have distressed children? And it doesn't have to be all the children. It can just be one, the ch- one, one child. Back to when we were talking about my siblings, it was very common for my father to be able to say something like, well, you know, the other children are fine. So this one must be lying or crazy or something's wrong with her, right? Um, yeah. Also, I really hope that we're not still looking at things like demonic possession or demonic strongholds on children to explain distressing behavior. Um, That was a big theme in my childhood is we're going to just pray away the anxiety and the nightmares and the self-harming behavior. We're just going to pray it away. And if we can, it's because Alicia doesn't pray enough. Alicia doesn't read her Bible enough or go to church enough or all of these things, right? So we need to like move away from supernatural influences on for, you know, mental health behaviors and towards it being a biological, physical thing, which I do believe as a society, we are moving towards that. However, some faith-based institutions still hold that as a cultural belief. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, we need to also normalize divorce. I think that If my mother had been supported by her church in 1991, 1992, she may have left my father. If she had had some sort of support, monetary support, emotional support, if she was being told that it was not a sin to divorce, you know, these were all huge obstacles for her to gain security away from my father. Um. You know, again, I hope as a society we're moving away from 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 that. Um, you know, as a faith based institution, if you are offering faith based counseling, you know, make mm-hmm. sure you are also really, really trained on signs of abuse because you are going to come across it in your community, in your faith based community. You're going to come across children who are being abused, and the family's going to bring you there because they're going to think that you are less knowledgeable and less likely to understand the warning signs than a professional in the community. Yep. 
Absolutely. So making sure that you are equipped with those things and, and also equipped to be able to access resources for the non-abusive parent. My mother was very much dependent on my father for money. She still is. She still collects money from him in the form of, um, and I, I suspect that's one of the reasons she hired a defense attorney because she doesn't want that financial support taken away. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Which is sad, right? It's really sad that for $800 a month, she wouldn't, um, support me, but right. That's not my choice. I can't control what other people choose to do. I can only control what's right for me. And moving forward with the civil suit, even with the loss of my mother and my brothers was the, it was the right choice for me. So as we kind of try to tie this up, um, what would you want to say to any survivors listening? Please come find us, come find the group, come connect with us. That, that connection can take you out of that isolation experience. Like you're, you're not alone in your experience. You're not crazy. I, I hate to use the word normal, but yes, it will help normalize it. It will help connecting with other people and answering all these questions that you might have will make you feel less crazy. So come find us. Yep. Um, if you're thinking about reporting, I highly suggest seeking, um, seeking out legal resources who understand human trafficking prior to filing the police reports. I think that if I had had legal representation at the initial filings, I may have waited until I had a bit more clarity on my experience, had gathered more evidence and more things to present with them just on the fact of like, been better for me to have the support in the room and not having to like give all of this information without any kind of support. Like I highly recommend finding legal support and um, my group can help, you know, find resources for you to connect you to lawyers. If you, if you don't have, there, there are lawyers that specialize in human trafficking that are willing to take help with civil cases. If that's where you want to be, um, you know, yep. your voice is your most powerful weapon. Your trafficker will scare you and into silence, right? That's what they want to do because they know that your voice is your most powerful weapon. So finding your voice and finding control of your story is monumental in the healing process. A good spot to end, Alicia. Thank you so much for this time. Yeah, um, thank you. Okay, huge. good. And we'll be um, we'll be linking, you know, Alicia's website and also um, giving the name of him for father and his website so that people are aware you know, who he is and what he's still currently doing. If you or someone you know is stuck in a trafficking situation and needs help, please reach out to the National Human Trafficking Hotline by calling 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP, H-E-L-P, to 233-733.